It's Friday the 13th. Actually, it's Wednesday. I figured I'd say that because I don't know when I'll be able to say that next. You're watching Market Call. I'm G Swizz. I'm always joined by Dan Nathan, and I am fired up. You know why? Because today's episode of Market Call is brought to you by FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow and open exchange because they manage the virtual meetings that matter for the top companies around the world. 30 minutes. That's it. We're 5,000 at 130. Hi, Dan. Hey, buddy. How are you? Yeah, I mean, listen, <laughs> you know what they say about a broken clock? I mean, you know, you're right twice a day. Come on, buddy. And, and on the, well, you know, it's funny you say twice a day. There are other things I do twice a day as well. I'm very regular. In case oh, you my goodness. Concerned. Okay. Well, you well you're, you're, you're two square meals a day. I get it. Let's talk about it here. I mean, the market has a different feel today, 24 hours later after our last market call that we had. Yesterday felt a little sloppy. And, you know, the thing that's really interesting, and you and I talk about this all the time. We talk about a market call. We talk about it on Fast Money. I mean, you know, earnings season setups are really fascinating because four times a year you can take it to the bank right every publicly traded company is going to report earnings most of them give guidance here and we talk about all the uncertainty in markets no one really knows what any of these companies are going to say that being said the price action into them usually gives you an opportunity from a trading perspective do you agree on that guy I do agree with that 100%. And obviously, we got things up and going today on earnings season with the banks. Obviously, JP Morgan being sort of the granddaddy of them all, for you Rose Bowl fans out there. And, you know, Jamie Dimon, you know, it's interesting. I got to tell you something. For the last few months, I think he's been, well, I shouldn't say uncharacteristic. I think he's always honest, but yeah. uncharacteristically cautious. And if you read some of the headlines that he put out, and some of the commentary, you know, if you parse his words, I think he sees some trouble ahead, to quote you Grateful Dead fans out there. Trouble ahead, trouble behind. Well, here's the deal, guy. I just say this. I mean, you know, so we had that annual letter that came out a few weeks ago, and that was definitely cautious. And we know that when they reported their Q4 earnings in mid-January, I mean, literally, the, the, the business was just not doing particularly well. Expenses were really high, and just the murky outlook, I guess, was a bit of an issue here. For this stock to gap down a few percent, Again, you know, two quarters in a row, big gap. The market is rallying here despite JP Morgan. Not a great setup. I mean, like, listen, you and I were not in the camp of pressing a stock like this that was already down 25% from its highs. We did talk on Market Call yesterday about how one might play from a bearish stance using the XLF options. I don't know if you found those options on any proprietary system or not, mm -hmm, but that mm -hmm. might have done the job, guy, if you were looking to protect some bank stocks. When you look at this JP chart, one of the things that's really interesting is that it is below the high prior to the pandemic. It is in a very steep downtrend. It's never made a meaningful move above that downtrend. It really feels like we're going to see 120. And I know that doesn't seem like so far off, but then there is a unfilled gap as our main man, Carter Braxton Worth likes to say, going back to late 2020, when we got the vaccine news that's down there. What is that? Like 105? It's between 105 and 110, and it's interesting where it comes in because embedded in that J.P. Morgan release, there are a couple of things I look at. We mentioned it on Fast Money last night. Net interest margin, that's something we talk about, NIM for short. Yeah. And the other thing that I look at is tangible book value. And the consensus for tangible book for J.P. Morgan was about $72.49, and it came in significantly lower than that, $69 and change. I mentioned that because for me, and I know a lot of people know this when I say it, 
It's all about what multiple you're willing to pay for tangible book. And, you know, a two multiple at a $69, obviously that's going to come in. I don't know. You can do that math, Dan, 138, 140. But maybe a two multiple is high in this environment. Maybe we should be closer to 1617. And that puts it squarely in that gap that you just mentioned. Yeah. And just, you know, just to be clear, and, you know, we talk about things like net interest margin, and we don't presuppose that some of our viewers know what that is. And really what they're talking about is the rate in which a bank like JP would borrow and then the differential between where they would lend it out. And if you are a massive money center like JP or Bank America, you know, when you have a steeper yield curve, you're going to make more money on your deposits and on your lending and that sort of thing. And so, you know, the outlook, you know, we had this very flat yield curve of late. And I think, a back half of the year, we had an RBC analyst last night guy that you went back and forth with on this NIMS, and he said he thinks the outlook in the back half of the year is pretty good on that. I'm just curious, are there some that you favor more than others if you think we're going to have a steeper yield curve in the back half of the year, and maybe these stocks start discounting a little bit, and maybe in that 105, 110 range, JP Morgan's a steal at what might be a multi-year low on that tangible book value. I think that's exactly right. And I think that's what you're waiting for here. And if you don't get it, you don't get it. Sometimes, obviously, you're waiting for levels that never come. I happen to think in this case, it's setting up for exactly that. Now, obviously, you mentioned the broader market's doing okay today. We'll see how things close in a few hours. I'm not as optimistic as I think the market is leading some folks to believe. But, you know, I think that gap, you know, I think that's right in the crosshairs. And that comes in again somewhere between 105 and 110, and it lines up with the math that I just gave out. Flip side of that, obviously, is sort of the indexes that banks are in. And one of them we talk about all the time, Dan, is the BKX. We'll take a look at this. This similar, but not nearly as poor as JP Morgan. A lot of different reasons why, but this is at huge support levels, I would submit. Yeah, and I do think it's interesting that if JP Morgan is kind of the bellwether bank, right, and you look how on a relative basis how poor it acts two years on from the pandemic to the broader index, it leads you to believe that there's some banks that are acting better. So to your point, let's see how this thing acts at that key support level. And one thing I would say, we talk, we started this conversation talking about setups in the market is like, you know, sentiment was really bad heading in there for the banks. And the fact that JP Morgan's results and price action as of now confirms it, it probably takes a little bit of the oomph out of some of its competitors. Like, okay, Citibank may have a disaster and that's stock may go down. But if Bank America is down in sympathy today with JP Morgan, if their results aren't as bad as JP's, the stock might rally, right? And so that's the way I might think of it. But here's a name, not a bank. You've been all over this thing. We've been talking about it on a market call for a while. You've been talking about it in CNBC's Fast Money for years here. Blackstone, okay? Mm-hmm. So let's think about this, right? So here's a stock that, you know, the stock has been a massive outperformer. It's obviously sold off a great deal over the last few months or so from its highs in November. You look at that chart there and you say to yourself, okay, it's making, what do you call that? A little pennant formation or something like that? I call it a pennant, Dan, because it looks like a pennant. For you baseball fans out there, you know, the flags on top of the stage. Stadium, specifically the yeah. cathedral that's Yankee Stadium, they have pennants flying. <laughs> yeah, and, and the Yankees have a lot of them. You know, I mean, you tell me how many American League pennants do they have, Guy, because I know how many rings they have, how many World Series rings. 27 World Championships. Yeah. They probably have approaching 40 pennants, I would believe. I'd have to go back and look. Let's put it this way. 
the second closest competitor, if you want to call them that, would be the St. Louis Cardinals. I think they have about 12 or so. Fair enough. I, well, listen, I hope well, one of our viewers tweet us that. We'd like to know that. Maybe Guy will repeat that. But one of the things that Blackstone's really interesting here is because it's not a bank and it doesn't, you know, doesn't have some of the same sensibilities. But one of the things that we know, here's a company that has a lot of capital. They want to deploy that capital. And the fact that valuations are being compressed and then competition for capital is out there. One of the things I've noticed in technology, we're starting to see a private equity bid for assets here. So look at this Blackstone guy. They probably report late next week. I think technically you'd probably say you buy it holding that uptrend a little bit. You get the stock ricocheting back. It's easily back towards that downtrend on good news. And maybe it breaks out above that on 130. And I just say this is like, this is not a trade that I'm doing, but I was looking at this and I was thinking, how do I channel my inner guy Adami mm. who wants to be bullish on a name like this or constructive, but also is cognizant of levels, cognizant of the uncertainty. And so one way to do this would be expressing this through options to make a bullish sort of view into the earnings print. I'd look at the May expiration today when the stock was trading around 115. You could buy the May 121.35 call spread. That would cost you around $3. Guy, you can do the math on a $115 stock Three bucks, it's a little more than 2%. You can do that math, right? I just did it in my head here. And that breaks even up at 123. And let's think, you get that thing going on a good report and maybe a market that's fine its footing. You break even at 123 and you have gains of up to 12 between 123 and 135. What do you think of my little options, little trade idea? Listen, I love it. They report, Blackstone reports next Thursday, I believe that will be the 21st of April. If you look at the last three quarters specifically, Each one of them is built on the prior record quarters. I would submit, and I've said this now for the last couple of years, the environment that we continually find ourselves in is very positive, tremendous tailwinds for names like Blackstone and all of these private equity type of firms. Blackstone, I think, is the best one out there. Obviously, valuation is a bit expensive. That's been a concern for a while. But you saw that move into the fall, subsequent sell-off like everything else. I think it holds this trend line, Dan. I love that trade. By the way, I was right about Yankee pennants. What did I say? 40. That's correct. You, you as Stu just it. let me know. And it was 11 world championships for the Cardinals. So I was off by one. But I got to tell you something. Just off the top of my head, that ain't bad, Dan Nathan. No, it's not. And, and again, you know, one of the reasons why we're kind of throwing that trade idea out there is that if you're looking to kind of say, all right, I think the fundamentals are, are probably better than what the market's pricing in right here. And that technical setup sitting on that uptrend looks kind of interesting. One way to do it is define your risk to about 2% of the stock price over the next month and change with the event. And the, and the, the God's honest truth is, listen, guy, if it breaks that uptrend, you don't want to be long the stock because mm-hmm. there's an air pocket down to about 100 bucks. So that's one of the reasons why I mentioned that. All right, let's move on here because some of the stuff that Jamie Dimon had to say, you know, obviously it's very consumer focused bank. Some of the hits that they're taking have to do with loans as it relates to the geopolitical situation and sanctions with Russia and all that sort of stuff. But this morning, talk to me about what Delta had to say, Delta Airlines. And you've been constructive on the airline space. I think you like the idea of the domestic reopening trade here, especially as we get the pandemic in the rearview mirror. Well, you listened to the interview this morning on Squawk Box. I mean, the CEO was talking about people's wanting to get out there. They're, they're tired of tending to and seeing their own gardens is the line to use. They want to see other people's gardens. And I'm with them on that one. I love mine. But people want to travel. And, you know, it's crazy as it may sound. I don't think cost is really going to impede any of the travel that we're seeing. I've said for a while that the second half of this year is going to go gangbusters for travel and travel related stocks. And I think that's going to be the case. This is a really interesting chart, Dan, because if you look at Delta, 
And by the way, if you put up any airline, the charts will look very similar. They all topped out in the spring of last year. And if you recall, that's when the virus news was at its best. Vaccines coming out. Everything seemed to be going well on that front. That's when the airlines topped out. I'll tell you when they bottomed out. They bottomed out when we got this second round, this Omicron, the worst news we possibly could have gotten. And that's when airlines bottomed out. Why do I mention that? Because they seem to be forward looking. And I think we're going to break this trend line. I think airlines across the board are relatively cheap on valuation. I happen to think Delta is the best one out there. I've said that for a while. And I think this downtrend line that you drew correctly is going to be broken to the upside. Yeah, and I like JetBlue here. That's one I've talked about. I like their domestic focus and their lack of reliance on business travel, although I do expect business travel to come back a bit sharper than some people were expecting as we got all used to Zoom. Let's kind of like zoom out a little bit, Guy. Here's another Mm -hmm. name that you've been really positive on for some time, especially during the pandemic, especially the relative outperformance of some of like the airlines, in particular Expedia. And here's one where this year, Guy, they're expected to have peak earnings or at least back above their prior pandemic peak and revenues growing, you know, double digits in both. And I think if you want to just look at 2022 revenue growth this year is supposed to be 38%. And I think that adjusted earnings growth is far greater. It's coming off a very low base. So that's not a great compare, but the stock trades about 25 times this year, about 18 times next seems pretty reasonable. Technically, look at this thing. I mean, it's been in a really nice range here. It seems like you kind of want to buy it holding that uptrend from the August lows. Absolutely. I think you absolutely want to buy it. As you know, I'm sure a lot of our viewers and listeners know this was the E and the Hope trade two years ago, and it played out really well. Obviously, sold off like everything else when the Omicron variant came out, but it's back on its horse. I think it's very cheap in terms of valuation relative to their growth rate, specifically their revenue growth rate. And I think you want to own the stock. If you think the second half, like I do, is going to be a huge second half for travel and travel-related names, just people doing things, then you absolutely want to own Expedia into the second half. I think you buy it right here, Dan. Yeah, and then just real quickly, Live Nation, this is one that gets a lot of my money. So does Expedia, actually, because I travel a lot. And you know what I also travel for, guy? I travel for live music. I'm going to see Pearl Jam in May in a couple weeks in L.A. I'm just going there. I'm going to L.A. I booked a flight and a hotel on Expedia, and I bought the tickets on Live Nation's Ticketmaster here. But this one's kind of interesting. And our friend Jim Chanos, who's at Wall Street Cynic on Twitter, you know, he's mentioned that the lack of profitability here and he doesn't love this name and you know listen i just think this stock has been a pretty good trader it's trading in this range between 100 on the downside and 126 or so or 27 or so on the upside and i feel like you know what you get this thing moving back above 120 and you get this pandemic in the rearview mirror i think this thing's breaking out a little bit not to spend too much time on that i just think that range is really interesting though guy any thoughts quickly on yeah that well i'll tell you so you have that sideways action you drew that horizontal green line. And then if you let your eyes move to the left, folks, and you'll see a very similar pattern from February to basically late August when the stock went sideways in a very well-defined range only to break out. Now we're going sideways in a very well-defined range. I would submit on the verge of breaking out again. So I'm with Dan on this one. I just want to ask you a quick question. I know we don't have a lot of time, but where would you put Eddie Vedder in terms of your front men or women in rock history? Oh, man. I mean, listen, easily in the last 30 years, I think he's just he's up there. He's just one of the tops. And, you know, listen, I think that, you know, you and I, your music interest like ended 
at 30, you know, like 30 years ago, right? As Agreed. far as like adopting new things. And so you just are not up there. I love Dave Grohl. I love Wynn Butler from Arcade Fire. Um, I oh, love yeah. our boy, Mikel Jolet from the Airborne Toxic event. I just think that this has been like an amazing 30 year period that you just missed out because you stopped with Led Zeppelin and the Beatles and Neil Young. I mean, that was it for you. The last new band I liked, by the way, in case anybody cares, was R.E.M. Just for And Dire Straits, I'll throw them in there as well. And I love P.K. Fire as well. I mean, it's one of my favorite people on the Mario Kart games. Anyway, oh, that's neither here nor there. But I'll tell you what I don't like in terms of products, and a lot of people haven't liked the stock, is Starbucks and Citibank. I don't know where they've been, but they downgraded Starbucks to neutral from buy. A lot of concerns around the company. That's true. We've talked about it on Fast Money. All of a sudden, valuations become a concern. Obviously, what's going on in China. What were tremendous tailwinds for the stock historically have all of a sudden become headwinds like that, Dan, Nathan. Yeah, you know, it's interesting when you think of like analyst downgrades. Right now, there's 16 analysts who grade the stock a buy, 18 a hold, one a sell. And, you know, really, I think some of these U.S. multinationals that are contending with higher input costs with some of the inflationary pressures, you know, you think about where they get some of their future growth or a big part of their future growth, if that happens to be overseas. I also think that in this world where if you do something geopolitically, you know, your country, a region or something like that, you could basically you know, a company's multinationals now have this pressure, right, to maybe boycott those regions. And the mm-hmm. last point, you make this point all the time, the flight to quality with the U.S. dollar makes it really hard for companies like Starbucks that get a bulk of their future growth from overseas. So, you know, again, I think there's going to be some nationalistic fervor as it relates to certain brands in this new kind of world order that we might be living in. But I'll tell you this, guy, if you're looking at the out year on Starbucks right now, analysts expect about 15% EPS growth on sales growth of about you know nine or ten percent the stock trades about 21 times the stock mm-hmm. if, if those estimates are correct the stock has not traded that cheap to expected growth in a very long time exactly and if they come in with their numbers you're right i mean that's the whole thing but if they miss and obviously if you start to see revenue declines it yeah. becomes expensive again now i'm with you 100 look if they earn four dollars a share next year you can do the math in terms of where the stock is trading to Dan's point, right around 20, 21 times. With that said, it's all about are they going to do their numbers. Your critical support levels, Dan's pointed it out, it probably is as cheap as it's been in a long time. Problem is, is that mean you buying the stock here? I don't know. I wait for them to report, I think on May 3rd, yeah. if memory serves, Dan Nathan. But you know what, guys? This is, listen, this is not a market where a stock like this, if they put up a quarter that feels like a relief and guidance that is better than expected, you're going to fade that guidance. You're not going to believe any clarity that they have. And all that being said, they just lost the CEO, Johnson. Schultz just came back, the founder. There's no reason for him to kind of muck up his legacy, right, by being overly optimistic in probably one of the most uncertain macro periods. So I think this stock has a seven handle. I know that doesn't sound crazy. The stock's at $81, but it looked like it was about to break yesterday. I think you see this thing in the low 70s, that sort of cluster from the summer of 2020. And then maybe you start dollar cost averaging for a move back to some sort of normalcy post-pandemic. And that's going to create a problem for analysts because I think people have gotten themselves off sides. I mean, the city note, you could sort of see late to the dance, but they're one of the first. We'll see how many people follow, especially in the earnings. You know, it's going to be interesting to see if analysts say, you know what, we got to pull the ripcord here on Starbucks ahead of earnings or if some people are just going to 
hope and pray that their you know their price target of typically I think somewhere between 105 and 110 holds up. This to me is a really interesting couple of weeks for Starbucks. We will see. Staples, by the way, is something that you've enjoyed. I like going to Staples, by the way. I sort of rummage through the paper section. I get garbage bags and wet, you know, those those things you use to wipe down, like, you know, the Lysol wipes. Anyway, I digress. Well, you know, it's funny, though. You say that, and, you know, Staples as a retailer, we're not here to talk about Staples as a retailer. We're talking about Staples. No, I know. I know know sometimes sometimes your mind wanders, you know? I mean, it's just that simple. And I think a lot of our audience gets that by now. But, you know, like Staples, Office Max, weren't they all supposed to be put out of business by the (laughs) Amazon here? And they're still standing. You know, kudos to them. You like to give kudos, don't you, Guy? I do. And when I was in grade school, apparently you weren't allowed to give kudos to other people. It was sort of frowned upon. No, that was cooties. That was cooties, buddy. sorry. Yeah. Well, all right. Here's the deal. Consumer staples, you know, like it's been in this period where, you know, the major indices have been under pressure a little bit. You and I have mentioned on many occasions, we didn't think the S&P, there was enough damage in that index over the last three and a half months or so to really say that was it, that we saw any major capitulation because it just the index as a whole was not down a lot. But we did see some of the things that kind of get your antenna up a little bit when markets get a little hairy. We saw, you know, money move into consumer staples and utilities and to some other areas deemed to be defensive. You know, the staples are up a little bit on the year, which is obviously a huge win versus the S&P 500. Look at this chart, though, of the XLP, the ETF that tracks the consumer staples. We know the largest components are Procter, Costco, Coca-Cola, and Pepsi. Are you a Pepsi guy, guy? Like, I don't no, I'm a co- yeah. no, I'm a Coca-Cola guy. And you're looking at it, I will tell you, it looks like almost 40% are comprised of the names you just mentioned. Yeah. Procter & Gamble, Coca-Cola, Pepsi, Walmart. Throw Costco in there, and there you go, Dan. So you're right. By the way, all these stocks have been monsters. And it stands to reason that this level you drew, I mean, this is sort of a, I would submit, sort of a launching pad for the next level higher. Anyway, please continue. Yeah, and, and listen, I'm actually looking the other way. I mean, like I see a move like that just a few weeks ago where I don't think a whole heck of a lot has changed in the macro environment, but other than the fact that investors were kind of moving into an area that they thought should have maybe some pricing power. Again, this goes back to, you know, global sort of exposure. It goes to exposure to the dollar. It goes into input costs. It goes into shipping costs. It goes into a whole host of things. I I think this move is a bit unfounded. And I like the idea, Guy, of playing for a move back towards 73, which happens to be that breakout level from late December. And it also just lines up with that 200-day moving average. So so check that one a little bit. I don't like to play for runaway breakouts. If this thing were to get back below that high from, you know, just a couple months ago, I think you see a thing move back into the mid to low 70s there. And I'll just say this, guy, you tell me, okay, are all these companies, yeah, the consumer staple aspects of a lot of the products that they sell, but these stocks in the outperformance sometimes pushes the valuations to a point where if we saw correlations basically go to one, if the S&P were to retest those March lows, these stocks are going down too. The one you have to worry about there, obviously, I think in terms of uh, valuation is Costco. Pretty expensive. It's always been expensive. I forgot to mention Walmart's in there as well. I think also about 9% holding. Walmart breaking out to the upside. So I hear what you're saying completely. The problem is, you know, these stocks, you know, Walmart's finally getting off the mat for the first time in a long time. You've obviously had Coke and Pepsi for a while. I don't know. We'll see. I think this is what makes markets. I think we go higher and Dan thinks we do a pullback. Again, stay, stick around, folks, yeah. and we'll see how it plays out. We have a question real quick, Dan, from Chris Sinclair. 
When does Lockheed Martin, that comes out LMT, Shatter 470, it reports, Lockheed reports, I think, on the 19th. I think it takes it out. I think if you look at Lockheed Martin on valuation, you can make a very compelling case that this stock is way too cheap. I think it's sold off when it appeared as though the Russian-Ukraine situation was sort of, I guess, simmering down a bit. But I don't think it matters what happens there. I just think we find ourselves in a place where defense stocks are going to be in play for a while. Those are my thoughts, Dan. I'm curious if you have some. Otherwise, we'll move on. Well, no, no, no. But you and I both dusting off our little political science degrees from many, many moons ago. I mean, I I guess the one thing I would say about the situation with Ukraine is that the longer it goes and the worse it gets is the greater likelihood of the resolve of NATO nations and the resolve of of countries like ours in in the Eurozone to kind of really beef up, you know, like, uh, you, you know, because like, listen, the invasion of sovereign countries is not something that... In the post-World War II era, we've been too kind to. So I'm with you, Guy. You've been all over that. I know that you're not speaking about it in an insensitive sort of manner. You're speaking about a name like Lockheed that should have a bid to it because they're going to have a bid for their products and services, right, going forward. So I'm with you there. I'm just curious, Guy. So... You know, we talked, we started the show talking about JP Morgan, and it really hasn't gained a whole heck of a lot of ground. The SP 500 is up about 1% or so on the day, the NASDAQ up 1.75%. So we're having a bit of a bounce here. I don't really see any news that suggests why that should be happening. When you think about it, as we get into deeper into earnings season next week, and obviously we're going to get through the banks. What's your take on tech in general? You know, you and I spent some time earlier in the week talking about semis, and and we know that the reaction to the Micron results and guidance initially was really good, and then it was kind of really bad. Some analysts are getting a bit negative on NVIDIA and some of the big leaders here. What, how do you set up into tech, or do we want to wait a couple of days and see how far maybe this bounce, how many legs it has? I think the bounces need to be sold. I'm sorry about the noise, by the way. I'll tell you this. I think one of the reasons the market's rallying and I think it's somewhat foolish, but it's happening, so I have to address it, is because you're seeing a yield curve that's sort of steepening again, but the yield curve is completely broken. I mean, fives, tens, and thirties were all trading about the same level a few trading days ago. That's widening out a bit here. I don't think it's really all that meaningful, because again, I think the bond market is just broken here, but I think that's what people are taking their cues from. I'll say this, I think with rates going higher, if nothing else, it's going to be a headwind to some of these higher valuation tech names. So I think there's another leg lower in technology in the aggregate, Dan. Yeah, and you know, we talked about it the other day too, that call from UBS on Microsoft talking about Office 365 slowing, and they didn't downgrade the stock. Not that upgrades or downgrades matter. I just think from a sentiment standpoint, when you have 51 analysts cover a stock like Microsoft and 47 rated a buy, I think you want to kind of track some of the changes in sentiment because if you had like a mass move, if there was any of these massive names that saw some sort of material downshift or we're really going to come clean about just just the pull forward from the pandemic and now just the murky nature of their visibility going forward that might be a reason to re-rate some of these mega cap sort of tech names so listen we'll watch and see like you say we don't want to be dogmatic here do we guy i don't want to be dogmatic but with that said you know i have three dogs looking at me right now staring at me you know as we do this show so No, you never want to be dogmatic. You want to be open-minded, Dan. I try to be open-minded in many things in life. Like, I want to sort of embrace the Mets, but for some reason I can't. Wait, wait, wait. That's a lie. You do not want to sort of embrace the Mets. Like That's that's just a lie. That's a good good call out. The Mets could go 0-162, and I would still find something (laughs) wrong with that season through my lens. 
But that's it, Dan. We got Ranger hockey tonight coming off a tough loss last night against Carolina. Carolina might be the better team. I think you may agree with me on that one. We'll see what happens in the playoffs. But that's it for Market Call. By the way, as Stu got say, I like the Celtics in five against the Nets. We'll talk about that at a later time. I want to thank FactSet. I want to thank Open Exchange. And so many folks get all ramped up for this. Tomorrow will be Thursday. Dan and I will be back. We will be here with Dan who? Liz Young from SoFi. What do you, what do you call her? You have a different name for her. Yeah, I, I just say EY from SoFi because yeah. it rhymes. But we're 5,000. We'll see you then. See you tomorrow.